0: Good morning, Maranatha. Good morning. Uh, It really is a privilege to be up here this morning to, to preach. And for those who don't know me, as mentioned, my name is Eric, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, before I pray, I wanted to thank you, church. Um, you know, I'm preaching this morning on why it's important that we gather as Christians. Why we need one another, right? <laughs> And Sana and I, we got a, a really a, a glimpse of this last week. So uh, many of you are aware that I was in the hospital last week. Huh? All last week because I had rhabdo. I, I was just being foolish, I worked out too hard, muscles broke down, and I was admitted very late on Memorial Day. And to make matters worse, we were moving the following day, right? So worst husband <laughs> right here, like stress out your wife by getting a serious medical condition, and then abandon her to do the move all by herself the night before, right? But all it took was just a couple of text messages and a a group of M.G.C. folk showed up after a long day of work and helped her move. And It wasn't just the move, it was the prayers, the texts, the cards, uh, the phone calls, the visits, the meals, right? all of it was so necessary for us to get through this trial. So I just want to start by saying thank you, church, and hopefully oh, I got all the crying out now. And Sana, she was like, this morning's like, are you gonna cry today? Um, all of your crying buddies aren't here, because, you know, Vanessa's transitioned out and Kirsten's on sabbatical, so uh, I'm alone today. But thank you, church, thank you very much. Uh, just as we begin, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this privilege to gather as your people this morning. Help us to never take for granted uh, the grace that you have shown us, that you allow us to gather to worship you. We don't deserve this privilege, Lord, but by grace through your Son, we are here to worship, so we thank you. We do pray, Father, for other churches, the many churches who are gathering today, that your Holy Spirit will help guide them in worship. We pray for our sister churches, like North Shore, Redeeming Grace Fellowship, First Baptist in New York, New Hope Fellowship. We pray, Father, for other local churches in the area, for Metro, for CGS, for New Mercy, for Grace Redeemer, for Christ our hope. We are not the only body of people worshiping this morning. People from all around the world are worshiping you and you deserve every ounce of praise, every ounce of glory. So we pray, That in our worship, your son Jesus would be exalted. We ask now that you would help us as we turn to your word. We ask that your Holy Spirit would help us to be attentive. That as we hear your word, we would not just be merely hearers, but we would be doers. That you would help us to bear fruit in response to your true and living word. And we ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in the midst of the series Life in the Family of God. And we're working through the commitments in our covenant as members. And so far we have considered the following. Having, as we trust, been brought by God's sovereign grace to repent from sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and having professed faith in Christ and having been baptized, we, the members of Maranatha Grace Church, earnestly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other, as we strive to grow in Christ together. We will examine the scriptures corporately and privately that we might grow in faith and speak God's truth to one another in love. We will prayerfully maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This morning, we will focus on the fourth commitment. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor will we neglect to pray for each other. With pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of sun, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This letter to the Hebrews, this book can be summed up in the following way. Jesus is superior. No one knows who the author is, but it is very clear that it's written to the Hebrews, to those who are physical descendants of Abraham through Isaac and Jacob. And this letter, it focuses on comparing the Old Covenant and the New. The Old Covenant, with its imperfect provisions, which was given under Moses, cannot compare to the New, which is offered through the great high priest and his costly sacrifice, Jesus Christ. And in the New Covenant, all of his provisions are infinitely better, infinitely superior, because Jesus, he's superior to the angels. He's superior to Moses and Joshua. He's superior to the Levitical priesthood and sacrifices. In this larger context, it sets up our passage this morning, and we will focus specifically on verses 23 to 25, And we're going to look at it in three ways. The past promises fulfilled in the Messiah, the present fellowship through the Son of God, and the future coming of our Savior King. So first, the past promises fulfilled in the Messiah. Hebrews 10, 1-4 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and the goats to take away sins." Now it's really easy to glance over the word sacrifice when reading passages like this and forget just how brutal this whole process was. Author, teacher Nancy Nancy Guthrie writes this about the sacrificial system. Sacrifice in the Bible is the bloody reality of an animal being butchered on an altar. Imagine the sensory overload of this experience, the violence resistance of the animal, the spurting of blood, the feel of pulling the animal apart, the smell of its burning flesh and bones. Imagine the emotional and spiritual impact of offering this sacrifice, knowing that it was your sin that made this death necessary. And imagine the frustration in knowing that you'll be back tomorrow or next week because you will sin again. These early verses in chapter 10 show that the sacrificial system under the Old Covenant, detailed all throughout the book of Leviticus, was a shadow of the good things to come. Under the Old Covenant, Israel's fellowship with God was constantly broken because of their sinful disobedience. But by grace, God established this sacrificial system, which involved priests serving as mediators, which involved offering animal sacrifices as a way for his people to restore the fellowship with him. And these offerings symbolized one's repentant heart and God's forgiveness. But the problem with the system was that the need for sacrifices, it would never end because the people of God and even the priests would sin over and over and over again. Therefore, this system... It was a pointer to something. It was a pointer to someone better. Someone more superior. It pointed for man's need for a perfect priest and sacrifice that would once and for all deal with sin. And in verses 12 to 14 in chapter 10, we see that that's someone, it's Jesus Christ who offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins and sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This promise that God would establish a new covenant is most clearly seen in what we just read. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. And this is what Hebrews 10, 16 to 17 refer to. Jeremiah the prophet writes this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. God made this promise to establish the new covenant with His people through the prophet Jeremiah around 600 years before Jesus would come to the Earth. 600 years, and it was during a very dark period in Israel's history. Everything seemed utterly hopeless because God's people—they were living in exile, they were living under oppression. But what we see here is that God followed through on His promise. He fulfilled this promise by sending the Messiah, his son, Jesus, showing that he who promised is faithful. And it's because of Jesus, and only because of Jesus, that all believers, any of us who trust in Christ, we can have confidence to enter into God's presence without any hindrance. Under the old covenant, God's people didn't have direct access to His presence because they were shut out from the most holy place. But under the new covenant, the curtain was torn through Christ's death so that all believers have full, direct access to God. We can come before Him boldly. The Son of God came to serve as the great high priest as well as the once-for-all sacrifice, sealing this new covenant With his own blood, proving once again that God, who promised the Messiah, he is faithful. And this is why believers are to hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. The confession of our hope is that the promised Messiah is the Lord and Savior. And this is what the Christian faith boils down to Jesus, he is Lord, he is Savior. He is Lord over all things, and He saves sinners like you and me. That is what our faith boils down to. And the good news is this. This confession of our hope that Jesus is Lord, this confession that He saves undeserving sinners, it's a message that is freely offered to all of us here. Jesus came to be God's perfect sacrifice for our sin, By laying down his life. He is the perfect Lamb of God who was slaughtered in our place. And on the cross, Jesus took the wrath that we deserve. Jesus' blood, he paid for our debt that we owed. But death, as we read through these truths of the New City Catechism, death had no hold on him. Because three days later, he would be raised to new life, conquering for all time sin and death. So by God's grace and by His grace only, anyone who turns from sin and anyone who trusts in Jesus, we can be confident that our sins are no longer held against us. That we are welcomed freely into God's presence as His beloved children. We can approach Him boldly because we know that we have a great high priest through whom everything is new and better. The Hebrews, they were in danger of wavering away from this truth. They were in danger by swerving away from this truth, and they wanted to return back to their law. They wanted to return back to their customs. And they were questioning Christ's preeminence. They were questioning if Jesus alone can truly save. And their faith, it was being weakened by constant persecution. So the Hebrews, they needed to be reminded that God had been faithful that God is faithful, and that He would always be faithful. Maranatha, we must never stray away from this confession of our hope. We must never waver from this truth. Because apart from Christ, there is no hope. When we begin to waver, right? think about what happens when we begin to waver, when we start to hold very loosely this confession of hope. Pride, sin, fear grows in one's heart. Humility, gratitude fades away. The things of this world become more treasured than the things above where Christ is seated. we're called to hold fast to this hope. You know, I don't watch many movies, but I do enjoy watching Marvel movies, and I don't know which one it is, because there's so many of them, But you know those scenes, right? There's always a scene where the superhero is holding two things, right? Whatever it is, whether it's like trains or like whatever. They're holding it and they're pulling in opposite directions. And if they let go, something horrible happens. Like the world explodes. Something happens, right? (laughs) The truth is that we are so prone to do this very thing spiritually. We hold on to the things of this world so tightly while trying to hold on to the things of Christ. And at the end of the day, this half-hearted obedience isn't obedience at all. What this author is trying to say is this, stop holding on to both of them. Stop wavering between the two. Let go of your hold completely on the things of this world and hold fast to Christ. And this leads to the importance of the second point, the present fellowship to the Son of God. I'll share this because it's been over two decades now, and in no way am I endorsing the following behavior, but back in the day I was part, I would like to call it an underground fight club, but it was just a group of middle school boys boxing in a basement. And I still remember very clearly, one day after school we went to our friend's basement and I was picked to box one of my best buddies because we were in the same weight class. And, you know, I've always been somewhat athletic, and my friend was not, so, you know, I went into the match without much worry, right? So we put on our gloves, we put on our headgear, the timer started, and when it started, we just rushed at each other. And, you know, people, we don't know how to buy, we just, like, throw in haymakers, and we lasted for about, f- like, 15, 20 seconds, right? But we still had about a minute and 40 seconds left, so I changed my approach for the remaining time, right? I slowed down, right? Now, you know circling around, whatever, you know, I don't know what the forms are, right? So I, I, I probably look better than that, but, you know, looking for a good opportunities to move forward, right? right? The great Muhammad Ali says, or he said, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Does anyone know the rest? The hands can't hit what the eyes can't see, right? So there I am, looking for an opportunity, and when it finally came, I jabbed my friend right in the nose, right? And for anyone who's been hit in the nose, it's impossible to stop those tears from coming, right? Then I saw my friend's eye. There was rage that filled his eyes. And he just ran at me and started pounding away. And I honestly, I don't remember how it ended, right? I don't know what happened, right? This is what verse 24 in our passage is about. Not boxing in the basement with friends, but to think really carefully about how to provoke one another to action. Like how I intently, I mean, I know this may not be, like how I intently looked at my friend for points of weakness and provoked him to fight back with my jab. This is what we're called to do. To consider how to stir up one another. they are really strong actions that this author is commanding. Because to consider, it's to think really carefully, to think really clearly, to literally think about a decision up and down. And this word, it's also seen in Hebrews 3.1 which says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Think really carefully, think really clearly about Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. And to spur, it's to incite, to provoke, to jab at someone so they have to respond. This word is only used only one other time in the negative sense. It's in Acts 15.39 when there's a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, when they couldn't agree on taking Mark on their second missionary trip to Cyprus and Galatia. So they were provoked to make the decision to split up. But in verse 24, to stir up is used in the positive sense. We were to stir up. We were to provoke. We're literally called to jab, right? Love, you know, we're literally called to jab one another to love and good works. Towards loving God and loving our neighbors. Towards obeying His Word. Toward helping one another grow in the godly fruit out of love for one another. And for those of you who weren't here last week, I encourage you to listen to Pastor Justin's message, right? To gain a better understanding of what love and good works look like, right? But the truth is this, all of this, can only happen in the context of community. And this is why the author exhorts the believers to not neglect meeting together. The Hebrews, they were tempted to give up meeting together for the various reasons I listed earlier. And it seems to have gone to a point where it became a habit for some. But it's impossible, it was impossible for them to live out these commands if they were neglecting to meet together and it's true for us it's impossible for us to do any of this if we neglect to meet together i cannot overstate how important gathering together is in the life of a believer the christian life is not a solitary one it's a corporate one and this is god's design and this is made very clear by the biblical metaphor for for the church All of which indicate a plurality, never a singularity. We are a body, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. We are a flock, 1 Peter 5. We are a household of faith, Ephesians 2. We are a holy people, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 2. Where Each believer has an important role in helping one another persevere until Christ's return because we cannot have confidence, we cannot have assurance of faith apart from the church. And while we all have different roles, none of us are more significant than the other. We are saved by grace and grace alone. We're also brought into this body of believers by grace and grace alone. We cannot endure. We cannot persevere in isolation because we need, we absolutely need one another for encouragement. And we need to gather together because of the future coming of our Savior King. Church, I want to remind us that Jesus is going to come back, He will return. Brothers and sisters, Jesus will return. And this is what is meant by the day that is drawing near. It's the day when Christ will return from heaven to save those he has redeemed, to hold the final judgment, and to perfect his kingdom for all of eternity. The Hebrews needed to be reminded that Christ was going to return because they were fighting all these temptations. And we as well need to be reminded of this truth. The good news doesn't just end with the resurrection and ascension, but the good news also includes that Christ will return. Hebrews 9.28 So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. John 14.1-3 Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. No one knows the day or the hour, and that's not for us to know. But what we must remember is this, that he who promised is faithful and he will return. Maranatha, we need each other because it's difficult to persevere to that end. It's difficult to remember that truth because the call to follow after Christ, it is hard. I often tell the youth students this. The the call to follow after Christ, it's difficult. To deny yourself, to take up your cross, to follow after Him, that's impossible work to do on our own. Because we're so forgetful. We're so prone to wander. So we need one another for encouragement. We need one another to be comforted, to be warned, to be strengthened. I wanted to share some of the ways that I have sought to encourage you, Maranatha, as your pastor. And I want to share these ways because I believe we shouldn't be secretive about how we encourage one another. We should learn from each other. We should thank each other. We should sharpen each other. And my hope is that even as I share this list, it would spur you on to love and good works. So what do I seek to do with the help of the Spirit? I seek to be in God's Word consistently and to be molded by His truth. I seek to be very intentional with my relationships, pursuing after others rather than waiting to be pursued. I seek to try my best to listen to others regardless of age or life stage, to treat three-year-olds the same as 65-year-olds, from the youngest to the old, to understand their story. I seek to be in prayer for others and follow up on what they asked prayer for. I seek to speak the truth and love boldly trying to call others out in sin, but also walking alongside them to help them put to death their sin. I seek to thank God for what He has given me and where He has placed me at this current time in my life. None of this is super fancy. right? And I know, I'll be the first to admit, I have a very long way to go in so many of these areas. But what I do is this I trust that God is able to use even my effort to build up His church for His glory. Encouragement, building up, it doesn't happen by accident. We must be intentional. So, what ways have you been encouraging others? What ways can you learn and grow in encouraging others? These are some really important questions that we have to consider. These are some really important questions that we need to think about and be intentional about. Because we need each other. This truth that the day is drawing near, the day when Christ will return, it should comfort us, as well as create in us a sense of urgency. as we consider our commitment to one another through gathering together, officially and unofficially, and in hopes of encouraging church, encouraging you church, to remember that each moment is a moment closer to when Jesus will return, my encouragement is this, let's wake up. All of us, we've had the experience of being woken up or waking someone up. And there are different ways to wake someone up. The first is the gentle, encouraging. Good morning, beloved. I know you're super tired. It's time to open your beautiful eyes while, like, you know, rubbing. Right? This is the only way I wake up, son. right? right? <laughs> only way. There's also the second approach. Some might say third or fourth or fifth. But the second approach is a little bit more stern. Hey, you, I love you. You've got to wake up right now. We're going to be late. We've got to wake up, right? And maybe a little like you know, not not this, but a little more like this, right? We gotta gotta wake up, we gotta go, right? My first encouragement, Maranatha, is this: wake up, like literally, go to bed earlier, set your alarm earlier, and get to church earlier. I'm not gonna look at anybody, okay? Right? (laughs) But there is a growing concern that we are taking too lightly our corporate worship whether it's Sunday gatherings or other gatherings, right? We would never be late. We would never miss something that we believe is important. But our lateness, our lack of being present when we are here, it communicates something about the way we view our worship gatherings. It communicates something about the way that we view our Lord. And we may not realize it, but it's discipling our young ones as well. Pastor and author Paul Tripp writes this. Corporate worship is designed to cause you to run from the kingdom of self and run to the kingdom of God, to dethrone yourself and to give your life to celebrating and serving the king of kings everywhere you are and in whatever you do. It is designed to remind you that in the center of all things is a glorious and gracious king, and this king is not you. It is designed to both dethrone you and comfort you with the reality of the present reign of your sovereign Lord, Savior, King. Now, I'm not saying it's not hard. It's really hard after a long work week. It's really hard after being exhausted, working through relationships, raising children. It's really hard after trying to fight through personal struggle. It's super hard. Well, what I am imploring you, what I'm exhorting you is this. Don't just give in and be okay with those excuses. Let's remember why we are gathering. We're gathering to worship the one who has saved us, who gave us new life as his beloved child, as his beloved children through his son. So don't just give in to that, this is just how it is, and this is how it's gonna be for the next couple of years. I want to encourage you, please check your heart. Where is your heart at when it comes to worship? Where is your heart at when it comes to our Lord? My second encouragement is to those who are faint-hearted, to those who are really weak, to those who just want to give up right now. To you, I want to encourage you to wake up with the, the gentle, encouraging approach, reminding you that Christ, our Savior, King, He's returning. He who promised is faithful. And remember that he who began a good work in you, he will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. At times this might seem the furthest from the truth, but know that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Know that while your grip on this confession of our hope, maybe it might be loosening just a little bit, know that our Lord will hold you fast to the end. So keep on. Don't give up. My final encouragement is to those who are complacent. To you, I want to admonish you, wake up, reminding you that Christ, our Savior King, is returning. What day are you ultimately looking forward to? Because whatever that day is, it will drive your decisions now. And if you're not sure, take some time to consider what your priorities are now. Are you ultimately looking forward to the day when you'll be promoted or when you finally retire? Or is it that day when your children will go off to college and get their job and get their own family? Or is it that day when you'll be in that special relationship with that special someone or getting married? These days aren't bad to look forward to, but these days should ultimately be seen in the light of the day when Christ returns. Knowing that Christ will return, it should transform the way we see our retirement. It should transform the way we see our jobs, the way we see our relationships, our children. It should transform all of that. So to those who are complacent, I encourage you, wake up. Christ is returning. Maranatha, our Savior and Lord, will return. But until then, we have this gracious privilege. Right now, to be part of this local body of believers. We have this privilege to meet together so we can encourage and spur one another on to love and good works, reminding each other to hold fast to the confession of our hope because our Lord, he is faithful. He is faithful. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is living and true. We thank you that through your word you reveal yourself to us. We thank you once again that we have this privilege, Lord, to hear from your word, but we ask God that we not be merely hearers but doers. Lord, as we leave from this place, would we consider very carefully how we can spur one another on? how we can encourage one another all the more as the, day draw, as the day draws near, Lord, knowing that Christ Jesus, our Savior King, will return. So help us, Lord. We ask that you continue to be honored in the rest of our worship gathering as we sing, as we give, as we meet in fellowship. We ask, God, that you would be honored this morning. You deserve all the glory, honor, and praise. We thank you once again for this privilege. And we hope these things in Jesus' name. Amen.